You're listening to the Private Island Podcast, where we will be speaking to private island owners from across the globe. We'll be discovering their story and what it takes to maintain an island. Today, I would love to introduce you to John Piper, the proud owner of Grand Island in New York State. Today, we're going to talk about his incredible story, what it takes to own an island, what he gets up to, and what the challenges he has faced. So, John, over to you. What's the story? Yeah, I was just up there uh, yesterday. I'm back in New York, uh, New York City right now. Uh, I had a few things to take care of. Otherwise, I just want to spend the whole summer up there. Um, but the past week, uh, we had renters up there, I think, uh, with the whole COVID-19 thing that actually an island has been, you know, one of the few properties where people actually want to go because they can kind of get away from it more so than other properties. And, uh, you know, we make sure that everything's clean and everything. So, um, yeah, I've been busy with rentals recently. So every year, um, we have to deal with ice cover. Uh, it destroys our docks. What happens is it freezes. And then it starts to melt and then the wind shifts the ice and whatever's caught in the ice gets ripped to pieces. So usually our docks are, you know, at least 15 feet out into the water. And usually the ending uh, four by fours get pulled out and we never see them again. And our docks <laughs> are in the water and we always have a bunch of work to do. So that's what I was doing all week was fixing docks and doing yard work and preparing for the renters and, we have to get the boats ready and we provide a boat with our rentals. So I had to tune up all the vehicles and get the jet skis going and make sure all the toys are working too. <laughs> nice, nice. And tell me, what's the story? How, how did you even get this island? Yeah, it's, uh, for me, it's the most sentimental place in the world for me. I grew up there. My grandfather owned it. He purchased it in the 50s. And uh, I'm going to show you the, uh, I'll give it to you so you can post it up later the uh, purchase offer, which my grandfather um, used to purchase the island. And I think it was in the early 50s. And uh, he purchased it for $6,000. Yeah, I was like, wow, I wish I could go back then and buy a whole bunch of properties because uh, that investment paid off. But um, about 15 years ago, he passed away. And he aired it to his three kids, which was my mother and his two um, sons. And the property being expensive and hard to maintain, and it's a lot of work. Um, for years, during when my grandfather was there, they would all come up and take turns and help during a couple weeks at a time through the summer. When he passed away, they all had to figure it out on their own, and he wasn't there to maintain it consistently throughout the summer. So they decided to sell it. And for a couple of years, they, they had it on the market, and it didn't sell, thank God. And then he passed away and then um, I came into the picture and I said, listen, I don't ever want to lose this property. It's the most sentimental place in the world for me. And I want to live here the rest of my life in the summers. So I decided to make a deal for each of them to purchase it off of them. So I spoke to all of them before I even went forward and all of them were in agreement that, yeah, this is a great idea because if I own it, then they can still come up and use it anytime they want. Um, you know, it was an open invite. I wanted the family to keep it in. I wanted it to be stayed in the family. So that was my motivation. And about 2001 to 2002, uh, my mother gave me her share, which was very nice of her. Um, she lives there in the summers. So she's always there every summer and she helps take care of it. My other uncle, I purchased it from him at a really good price. He, you know, was really great about it. So I purchased it from him. And then the third uncle, that's a whole nother story we can get into later, but he refused to sell it to me and he flipped the switch on me and he, he tried to use it as a, a negotiation tactic to, you know, basically ask for more than it was worth. Uh, it was unfortunate. But um, yeah, so for the past 16, no, almost 18 years, I've owned it, but I've only owned two thirds of it. And um, I've been running it by myself because this uncle decided he didn't want to pay any bills and he didn't want anything to do with the property. And he, he disappeared. Uh, since there's always bills on the property, you know, I think that was a motivating factor for him that he, he didn't like being asked for money all the time. <laughs> but it's an expensive property and I had to pay it. I had to pay two thirds. He didn't want to pay his one third. So over the course of years, I just 
continued to maintain it and run it myself independent of him. And, you know, I figured one day this will get resolved, you know, he'll come to reason and we'll figure it out in the end. And, um, yeah, so that's what I do every summer is I run the property and, uh, you know, I try to stay up there as much as I can, but I'm busy in New York running a couple of businesses here. So I'm literally traveling every weekend upstate there to take care of the rentals because we do one week rentals. They always switch over on Saturday. So I usually drive up on Friday night. It's about a four and a half to five hour drive from New York City. So I drive up Friday night and I come back Sunday really late. I usually get in at like one or two in the morning. So I leave at night when there's less traffic and I can kind of zip right into the city. So that's become, you know, over the past 10, 15 years that I've been doing this, uh, a trend that I've been doing every summer. And uh, I wouldn't change it for anything. I, I love it up there. And uh, it's, uh, it's just, it's amazing. It's just, besides being sentimental, it's just an amazing property. And I like working on things. I'm very, they're like puzzles to me. That's the way I look at like problems and like, Old people, they start doing puzzles and crossword puzzles. For me, it's fixing stuff. It's like always a new challenge. So I guess when I'm like 80 or 90, if I get there, that'll be the things that kind of keep me mentally and physically active is fixing the things on the island and plumbing. And I pretty much do everything on it um, within reason, unless there's something that I can't handle, then I'll hire a professional to come in. But yeah, I pretty much got everything locked down and figured out how to fix everything and maintain it. Oh, wow. And before your grandfather bought the property, what was the island before? What was the history of it? And I wouldn't suppose you know where the name came from. Uh, well, it's called Grant Island, and that was my grandfather's name, John Grant. Ah. That's where the name comes from. So Amazing. it will always be under his name. It will always stay Grant Island. Um, I, I love my grandfather, and I wanted to, to always honor his memory. And uh, I always see him looking down on me and he's, you know, I'm kind of taking over the job that he did for 40, 40, 50 years himself. So I'm the successor and uh, just kind of taking it over and making sure it stays in the family. And, and uh, yeah, I hope he's proud of everything that's been going on. Wow. Yeah, he definitely would be um, once you go into your journey later on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's quite the journey. How were you guys able to develop the basic infrastructure um, for it to be habitable, um, like the sewage and the utilities and even drinking water? Sure. Um, well, we'll start with utilities. They run a line underwater for the electric. Seems a little crazy, but there's literally a line that is sitting on the ground coming up to the island and there's a transistor on the island that it runs into and it supplies us with electric just like on land. It's just, they run it underwater and they have a really thick, um, you know, wire to keep it protected. Um, one of the fallbacks of that is that every time there's a lightning storm, lightning hits a lake or the, we've actually had it hit the island a few times. It's crazy. It's like the island is like a beacon for lightning strikes. Uh, one tree actually still has rivets up and down the side of it from being split open from a direct lightning strike. It's, it's oh nuts. But um, what happens is it ends up blowing all our like TVs, routers, stereo equipment. Uh, like three years ago when it hit that tree, it literally blew like $3,000 worth of equipment. And I was like, oh man. So since then I've invested in really good uh, uh, breakers so uh, it doesn't shock any of the, the machines um, next internet and we, we have internet we have um, wireless we have the line run through the cable same th same thing they run it underground um, electric uh, internet what was the other ones drinking water drinking water um, we pull it directly from the lake and we just really filter it really well Oh, wow, um, amazing. We have like a couple step system of water filtration. We used to have a point and we pulled it from a well, but the groundwater is really mineral rich and it was actually more difficult to filter the groundwater than it was just to pull it from the lake. So besides trying to pull it out of the water, um, it, it's just easier from pulling from it. The lake is spring fed. Um, you know, we have motorboats and everything running through it, but the filters, you know, RO systems, it purifies the water for drinking. 
Um, but other than that, we, we just use lake water. So we try to keep it simple and, you know, somewhat natural. Don't make it too complex. And uh, every year we have to drain the water because it's a seasonal property. It's not, um, the houses on the island are not um, winterized. So over the winter, we basically just put it on hibernation for a good five, six months of the year. And then in the summer, which is what I was doing last week, we just open up and turn on the water, turn on the heaters, just basically turn everything back on electric. You know, we shut off the breakers and shut, turn them back on. And um, that, keeps, uh, that keeps it going. That's the water. Um, what else? Well, the, sorry, one by one, I, I get I have so many things, I'll lose track of it. That's fine. I've got like a ton of questions to ask, but I have no idea if we'll have enough time to get through them all. That's you all might, right. I, you might I need try to, to get, keep it. I try might, to keep it more succinct. You might need a bottle of wine with you. Yeah, well, I got my coffee. I got my coffee. Um, and so, how how are you working towards um, making the island more self sufficient? Um, or, you know, eco-friendly and sustainable? Um, everything on the property is wood. We like to keep the docks all wood. A lot of people on the lake, they use like metal uh, docks and, you know, brick and they cement and they make it permanent. I like to keep it all wood. Uh, we use four by fours, all treated wood so it lasts. Otherwise it'll just rot away. But um, it's, it's something that I use for all the docks. Um, the break walls around the island, you know, we have a lot of erosion, so we try to prevent that and backfill as much as possible. That's one of the challenges of an island is the wave action. It erodes the island. And we've, over the past 20 years, we've probably lost five feet around every part of the island. So in the next few years, my objective is to kind of reclaim that land back. Um, but there's a lot of things that I can't do until the property is all in my name. So it's been holding me up well, since 15 years, this has been going on that I haven't owned the whole property that there's a lot of things that I want to do with it that I just can't because if I invest in it, I'm basically just working against myself because I'm investing in his one third as well. And he's been using that against me and you know, we'll get there. <laughs> You'll get there. Definitely. You definitely will get there. Um, and what about, tell me about the island itself. So is there any wildlife any crazy bears hiding in the in the woods <laughs> yeah we we get this question a lot they're like does anybody get stranded because they come over in the winter <laughs> yeah. sometimes, sometimes i go up there in the winter i go snowmobiling and i can snowmobile to the island uh, it makes it really easy and even in the off season when there's a little bit of ice and you can't get over there by boat and you can't walk over i have a hovercraft so i can get over there any time of year whether it's ice or not a lot of people, you know, if there's a little bit of ice, you can't walk on it, but you can't boat. So there's that time of year where you can't get over there normally, but the hovercraft solves that. So I can li literally just float across the ice on it and get over there anytime. So that solves that problem. But um, we get a lot of deer. Deer are over there all the time. It's almost like a deer haven over there in the wintertime. They go over there and almost every time I go over, if I go over in the evening in the wintertime, I'm scaring deer off the island. They're scattering. You can see their beds and... In the springtime, we always get the, uh, the deer pellets all over. So we, there's remnants of them. But the ones that get stuck over on the island um, in the summer are usually squirrels and chipmunks. We get a lot of those. And they are the bane of my mother's existence. She, they drive her nuts because they're just pests. You know, they get into the house and they burrow and stuff. And, and uh, they're a little noisy. For me, they, I, I kind of like them. I think they're cool to have little animals. And they're always getting into the bird feeders. But she's, um, we have a trap where we try to trap them and then we bring them over to the island, mainland and let them go. So uh -huh. uh, I, I would never want to kill them. I'm always trying to trap them and get them off the island to save them from my mother. So. <laughs> and but those are the only animals. Other than that, we have a lot of dogs come over for our rentals. We kind of market to people with dogs because they can let them run free. Mm -hmm. So it's ideal for animal owners. And we have three dogs ourselves. So they, uh, they're our mascots. They run, they run the land there. Buster, my little Dotson, he will bark on a sailboat across the lake. Like he just, he's, we have a bark collar. When it gets too much, we just put the bark collar on him and shut him up. He, <laughs> he'll bark at anything, so. And uh, what about, you know, when the guests arrive there, what kind of activities is there to do? Or is it just pure people just come onto the island just to basically sleep and get out of the city? 
Sure. Um, we give them a pontoon boat that they can go back and forth as they please. And um, they're free to use it as well. They go fishing. Um, we have pond, we have um, paddle boats, canoes, kayaks, um, stuff for them to go out with, um, floating docks, uh, tubes, stuff to play with, a whole bunch of kids' toys, squirt guns, um, stuff to keep the kids uh, occupied. We have hammocks all over the island. Um, people are more than welcome to bring their own jet skis or boats if they have, and then they can use them for skiing. There's a lot of water skiing, wakeboarding, tubing going on on the lake. Um, so the guests are, you know, always allowed to bring their own boats to do those things. Um, yeah, we have like swings and that's about it. Other than that, people have just come to bring like their family or group of people to relax and enjoy, you know the peaceful sunrise that you can see in the background there. That's, that's a sunrise. And on the left of the island where you can see the sun coming up, that's where the renter's dock is. So they're seeing that sunrise come up every morning. So wow. they get spectacular sunrises. On the right side of the island, that's, that's more our side of the island. Mm -hmm. So we get more of the sunsets and uh, the evening light. I actually, I actually saw a video of you on a bike going off a board into the lake yeah yeah i raced bmx bikes um i've raced bmx bikes since i was 10 years old and uh i stopped when i was about 16 years old and then when i came to new york and i was working all the time i i got the inkling for competition again and when i was 30 uh, i got back into bmx again and I took it pretty seriously. I was traveling all over the world. I was going to world championships. Uh, I won two national titles. So I was doing it pretty seriously. I had a really good sponsor, so I was able to travel all over. Um, for about 10 years, I was doing that. And um, I love jumping my bike. One of my favorite things is jumping. So I built a huge BMX ramp on the island where we can jump into the water. And, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite things to do. And you got to quickly catch the bike when it gets into the lake before it sinks. Or does yeah, it just... it's okay. It, <laughs> it doesn't sink that deep. It's only like 15 feet deep where we land. Okay. So as long as we're not going head first and lawn darting into the floor. And we can always like feel with our feet and pull the bike up. And sometimes it floats. It floats for a good 30 seconds because the air in the tires. Yeah. It'll stay upside down. Eventually it'll sink. But we have a good 30 seconds to get the bike and swim it back in. And even if it hits the bottom, it's not hard to swim down and get it. So losing the bike isn't a problem. <laughs> losing GoPros, that's been our problem. <laughs> We've lost like four GoPros in the lake. Somebody needs to go there with a metal detector and find our GoPros because we've got way too many that have fallen off into the water and we've never found. Tell me about you. You do a lot of things in the background. Yes, this is just one of the things that I take care of. But all the things I do, are, I try to keep them intermixed because I don't want to spread myself too thin. Um, I manage models. I was a model for 10 years myself before um, I got into this. So I learned the, the business that way by doing it myself. And I traveled all over the world. I was pretty fortunate to see a lot of cool places and learn a lot. And then when I was done with that, um, I started managing other models because it was a natural progression. I was already helping my friends and other models and giving them advice and I met a scout one day and we decided to partner up and make a company out of it so for the past 15 16 years I've been running a company called commence quest where we manage and scout models and um, that's kept me very busy over the past 15 years and then um, I have another company that houses models in New York City so tied in with the real estate and um, that type of business uh, I have, well, I had about 12 apartments in New York City where they were just solely for housing models with all the top agencies in New York. So whenever a model would come in for like Elite or IMG, the big agencies, and they needed a place for the model to stay, they would usually call me and I would set them up and I had short-term housing for the models. So I made a business out of that um, up until now. I mean, there's no models. And so who, who knows what's going to happen now? But um, I'm still trying to figure that out. But for about 15 years, that had been a good business for me. And over the past two years, I started um, studying digital marketing. I was always marketing my own companies, whether it was the models or the real estate and or the vacation rentals. Those were the things that I focused on marketing for my own purposes. And I basically took all the things that I learned 
from everything that I had done in the past, learned the new marketing techniques, and now I started a digital marketing company called Interact Digitally. So I basically taking all the newest and latest techniques of digital marketing and apply them to my own knowledge and and uh, apply them to not only my own businesses, but we do it for other clients. And uh, yeah, that, that's that's my new venture right now. Amazing. You've got, you've got so many things going on. <laughs> yeah, I try not to spread myself too thin. I've, I've got a hundred things I want to do and I'm just like, I need five more of me. Just do this, do this. But I have to, you know, Good. try to keep things tight and you're the kind of guy that has a whole ton of ideas right i tell i told my sister this weekend i'm like if your friends are not working just come to me i'll give them five ideas that will make money like just go do it follow my direct like there's no excuse like there's so many things to make money it's even in this period there's there's things that you can do so just a matter of being creative and seeing um seeing opportunities i guess and you know now is a completely different uh platform in the world so we need to kind of look outside the box and i, I apply that to my new company all the new things it's all it's all digital it's all um, interactive and digital so there's no need to you know be person to person anymore it's kind of taking away the brick and mortar of business and putting it all in the digital space so that's kind of where I'm focusing right now. And, and I, I focus on real estate companies, especially with uh, vacation rentals. And um, we work with Element here in New York and, you know, we're doing some things with them and yeah, exciting new things. Uh, you know, they're just kind of getting into the works right now with a new environment. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And what is your purpose for the island? Okay. I could go on for an hour on this. I've had I've been look I've been thinking about this for 15 years. I've had so many ideas of things, but as soon as I own the whole property, then I'm going to start working on all of these things. Uh, my objective in the next few years is I want to build little tree houses all around the island, like nice ones with big glass windows that have views over the lake on all sides, and run them out as little vacation rentals. Um, I have one little, uh, it was a shed. It was a tool shed for ever since I was born. I was always known as tool shed on the island. Last year I renovated it, cleaned it out. I redid the floors. I redid the roof. We painted it and we turned it into what we now call the stabbing cabin. So it's got a cute little bed in there and it's, everything is minified and all the space is very, uh, well thought out. And we've been renting that out. I've only, I've only offered it for a few weeks, but as soon as I offer it, it always books. Um, so I, I don't want to offer it full time yet. I kind of been testing it out, <laughs> but um, that's kind of like the test I was doing for like little spaces on the Island. And I want to take like little sheds like that, but I want to put them up in the, in tree houses in the Island. I think that'll be really cool. I was considering calling, um, the, the people who build tree houses on the, the show, I forget the name of it. They build tree houses all over the world. And I was considering um, pitching them, building one on the island and doing a TV show on it. Uh, when, I, when, when I get to the point where I can do that, that's going to be one of my first steps. I, that, that's one of the things I really want to do. I think ah. it'll be really cool. Really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a lot of ideas for the island. That, that's probably one of the first ones I'm going to start doing. I, I, like, I like hosting. I like the, the challenges of, you know, vacation rentals and, and, and doing that all. And, uh, yeah, one of the businesses that I'm starting, which is underneath Interact Digitally, is called Vacation Angel. And uh, vacationangel.com is the website. And basically, we manage vacation rentals. But it's all by selection. People have to propose their property and it. We have to agree that it's something we'll take on. So we're selective with it, but um, we basically just take a percentage of the income that we generate for the vacation rental. And uh, we like to keep like very unique vacation rentals to keep like more of a standard, um, like islands, lake houses, something that's on the water is usually, you know, some of the properties that we uh, entertain. Wow, amazing. And what does it take to maintain the island? What 
sort of things do you have to do? Um, basically, it's just things I've kind of already touched on, yeah. the maintenance and repair of the docks. That's a big one that usually takes a few days just to repair a dock. I'm always doing it by myself usually. So I have my, my techniques where I can, you know, I've got a lot of tools on Alan, let's just say that. Um, the water, electric, it, it's all maintenance. Other than that, it's really not any different than um, a normal property. Um, the shoreline is a problem, the erosion. Um, every year there's bigger and bigger boats on the lake. So we get bigger waves and it, it destroys our shoreline. And uh, one of the things we need to figure out um, in the coming years is how to protect the shoreline and regenerate it. Um, I've got a lot of ideas, but eventually I'll get there to doing that. Yeah. I, I was just thinking, how are you finding the time to maintain the island and, you know, uh, yeah, do all I this fixing and then run all these businesses? <laughs> yeah, it would be more cost efficient just to like hire someone probably. But um, it's actually really hard to find qualified people to do things. And I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to doing things right. Yeah. It seems like every time I hire someone, even for an expense, like a professional, I feel like it's, it's not what I wanted. And I feel more comfortable just doing it myself because I know exactly what I want and I know how to do it. And I just, even if I don't know how to do it, I'll take the time to learn it. Uh, YouTube in this day and age and all the things you can learn by just watching a video is amazing. So there's really no excuse for someone not to do it themselves other than, you know, simple outsourcing stuff, which is easier. And then, and those things uh, like cleaning and my mother helps with the cleaning uh, in between the, the rentals. But now with the COVID-19 thing, she's getting a little older. So we're removing her from the cleaning. And I hired um, a good friend of mine who lives uh, in the area. He's, he's helping us clean. And um, he's like our guest resident uh, the past few months. And uh, he's one of my best friends. And he is helping me when I'm not there. So it's good to have him there. And uh, yeah, it's always, uh, we're always relying on somebody when I'm not there, but when I'm there, I usually take care of most everything. Okay. And what is the most craziest memory you've ever had of the island? Wow. Oh, I just <laughs> thought about that one a little more. <laughs> I can't think of one offhand, the craziest memory. Uh, okay, it's not crazy, but um, the one memory I have, I have a Polaroid, and it's 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 sitting up on my uh, on uh, on the wall, framed, and it's a really old painting. I think it was I was like four or five years old, and it was my first kiss. They my parents kind of orchestrated it, and like we had they had a, a friend who was her name was Lori Robinson. She was my age, and they. <laughs> They orchestrated us to kiss, and that was my first kiss. It was just a little peck. I mean, we were four or five years old at the most. <laughs> and I, that's, that's my, you know, I see that picture all the time, and that's the memory I have of, you know, something that hasn't been recent um, from a long time ago. Yeah. And then the other, the memory is uh, my dog, Chomper. We had an English bulldog for about, he lived to about 13 years old, and he was a character. We have videos of him. There's this rope that we had that we used to climb and it was a swing. He would grab this rope and try to rip it down for his entire life. That was his objective to rip this rope down. He actually chewed through three ropes during his lifetime, but he would actually chew it so high where he'd have to jump up to, to grab it <laughs> and he would be hanging. And the next thing you know, he'd start rocking and going, making these crazy pterodactyl sounds. <laughs> next thing you know, his legs are swinging equal uh, parallel with his head. He was like a helicopter on the rope. I'm going to send you a video of it. You can look at it. If you can look at it on YouTube. It's a 10 year old video. It's not in great resolution, but I made a, a life story of Chomper. It's a 25 minute video. When he passed away, I, I just put all my energy into making this video as a memory for him. And almost all of it was on the island. And between him and the crazy things he would do on the island, uh, that's probably one of my uh, craziest memories was that dog. And when you see the videos, you'll understand why. Me explaining it doesn't sound great, but wait till you see the video. He was, <laughs> he was a character, this dog, Chomper. Wow. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that video now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to send it. And what was your worst memory? 
Oh, my worst memory is this ordeal with my uncle, by far. Tell me about it. Well, like I said, he wouldn't sell his property back in the day. And there were expenses on the property, so I billed him as we did every year. And then one year, he just decided not to pay anymore. And he cut off all communication with me. I sent him bills. I sent him emails. He cut off all communication. I'm like, okay, he doesn't want to talk. Like, I'm just going to continue doing what I have to do for the property. 13 years later, apparently he hadn't been paying his law firm, who was his best friend since high school. He was doing legal fees for him. And when his friend died, strangely enough, um, the law firm went through his records and saw that my uncle owed all these legal fees. My uncle was broke, apparently, and he couldn't pay it. So the law firm ends up going after me to try to sell his share of the one-third property because I don't want to sell, but they can only sell if they either force me to sell my share or I buy his share off of him, which I was more than happy to do. I've made him hundreds of offers, and he just never accepted them. Even when he accepted them, he would renege on it and up the ante. It was a really crazy story. So long story short, um, the law firm went after me legally to force me to sell the property, even though I continued to give them fair payoff options, more than fair. So here's where the problem is. He owed over 17 years, 16, 17 years of expenses on the property, and it's an expensive property. The rentals don't cover all the expenses. So my my argument was when they brought this to me saying, hey, he wants to sell his share. Do you want to buy it? I said, sure. Here's what he owes about. Here's the accounting. I gave him an accounting and then um, they refused all my offers, even though his, in reality, his expenses exceeded the value of his property. And that was my argument for the past five years. So the law firm doesn't care about that because one, they're fighting to get paid back from him through the property, uh, through his asset of the one third property. But I get first dibs because as two thirds owner, I'm the one paying his bills the past 18 years. So technically he's indebted to me for all those bills that he's refused to pay. So I've basically gone through a five-year battle where the law firm has tried to exhaust me through various lies and false accusations and, and false narratives. They've, they've created complete narratives and um, they've actually, in some instances, created evidence to use against me that was created by them it, it's eventually there's going to be a backlash I'm, i've documented everything i'm really meticulous about documenting things but yeah they um it's a bizarre story they're really ruthless to try to get payment from him and you know why wouldn't they they're a law firm that wants to get paid that's all they care about they don't care about me they don't care about my uncle they just want to get paid from him and they can't get paid from him because he has no money so the only asset is this property my claim is that he owes more. He, he already is indebted to me. Maybe when they started this, they didn't realize that. But when I presented the evidence, they're probably like, we're in too deep. Let's just keep going. This will exhaust this guy. I spent over $200,000 in legal fees. At first, I had a lawyer. So for two years, I had a lawyer, and I was just, I was just bleeding money, paying lawyers to defend it, and nothing was getting done because as soon as I would defend one thing, they would come up with a new thing. They would come up with a new thing, and I was constantly defending. So I documented everything. I said, listen, they're, they're, eventually there's going to be some justice here. Like they're making up lies. I'm having to pay for defending these lies. The justice system is fair, but what they're doing is taking advantage of the justice system and, you know, basically extorting me to come to an unfair settlement so they can get paid. So long story short, um, right now we were supposed to do an accounting on the property because they... He basically said that he owes no expenses. That was his argument. It was ridiculous. And then at one point they said that I had um, not allowed him on the property and they, they, these types of things, saying that I was uh, not letting him on the property and there was no evidence of it. I actually invited him to the property. So the evidence after I deposed him was completely contradictory to their whole argument the past four years up until the deposition. So the deposition was pretty much the end of the, their, you know, false stories because my uncle, he couldn't continue to lie under oath about these things because the story of the law firm and the story of my uncle were completely on two separate stories. My uncle didn't even know what the law firm was doing. 
they're autonomously going after me with their lies. While my uncle, he didn't pay attention. He, he's oblivious. So he didn't even keep up with the stories and the lies that the law firm's telling. So in the deposition, I basically pieced apart both ends, both sides of it. And I, you know, I get down to the truth. Now I'm going to use that moving forward. So the court's already um, um, ruled that he owes his expenses, like five years of just him trying to get out of paying even his own taxes. It was bizarre. But there is nothing else they could do because they wanted to get paid and they knew it if they had to agree to the, the, the expenses that he had over the years that they weren't going to get anything because there's nothing left. And that was my argument the whole time. So now we're supposed to do an accounting three weeks ago and we're both supposed to pay 5000 to have an independent accounting through the court done. And this would pretty much end it because then we'd know what expenses are real, what's not, you know, there's going to be no more argument because anything that was an expense, they just said they didn't owe it. It was really crazy. Like if it was taxes, insurance, no, nope, I don't own it. And then when they asked for a reason why they just don't believe he owes it. That was literally their excuse that they would give to the court. So it was a clearly an exhaustion uh, tactic that they had to use against me. And um, I had to learn law because I had to, I couldn't afford the attorneys anymore three years ago. So I had to get rid of my attorneys and study law myself to defend myself the past three years. Finally, I'm in a little bit more control because I started learning law, how the process works, um, you know, how to file motions, how to defend myself, um, how to study law, how to, you know, look up case law, all these types of things. So I was able to do this myself. And I spent an extraordinary amount of time the past few years doing that. Uh, I did it better than any lawyer that I would have paid for. And I did it at my own expense. Um, which was my time, not my money. I couldn't afford it anymore. It literally exhausted me financially. So now we're supposed to do the accounting and my uncle did not pay his share. So he's now in contempt of the court because he did not follow the court order that we were both supposed to pay 5,000 to have a conclusionary accounting done. So I'm literally right now writing a letter to the court to try to end this whole thing, saying that they should go by the accountings that I've already done I've given them literally thousands and thousands of receipts, statements, everything they would need to do their own accounting. But they have no, they have no desire to do that. They just want to extend this and hopefully submit, uh, you know, put me into submission to cater to their demands or force a sale. Because if I don't keep up with their accusations and defend them, you know, I would lose and they could, they would have a reason to force a sale. But I was steadfast and I refused to let someone like that extort me. Um, I'm sure this happens all the time in the legal system, but I felt like if I was to allow this, it would set a precedent of allowing law firms to continue to extort people by these tactics. And in the end, in my case, I think uh, the law firm uh, ended up bailing on my uncle. They released him a couple months ago from representing him. One, because they know that if their accounting's done, that it's going to show exactly what I've been saying for five years. Two, they know they're not going to get paid anything because that's what the account is going to show. And three, they don't probably, they probably want to start distancing themselves from him because there's going to be repercussions. I'm going to file sanctions. I'm not going to just sit back and let, let people do these types of things. So it's, it's a little bit of principle as well and setting a precedent that you can't let people do this to you. If you're right and you're, you're in the, uh, you're, you know, you have, I've always had good intentions. I wanted my uncle to come up. I never had a dispute with him ever um, other than this, but it was, um, you know, created by his law firm and his debt with them. That's really where it started. But, you know, his ethics of not allowing this nonsense to continue, you know, obviously that was lost on him. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at right now with that whole legal thing. And, uh, hopefully in the next month or two, the property that the court will agree with the letter that I'm writing right now and, you know, just sign the property over into my name because at this point he owes more than his value in the property. So, I mean, technically, I guess I could go after him for more, but listen, he hasn't paid a bill in 18 years. He hasn't paid his law firm in 18 years. He hasn't paid anything in eight, like, I don't know what's going on with him, but he's not paying anything, whatever it is. 
So clearly I'm not going to get, you know, blood from a stone here, but, um, yeah, I think if people allow law firms and these types of tactics to succeed, it's setting up uh, them to continue to do it. Um, it rewards them for bad behavior. And I don't think anybody should. I think the next person who that law firm, they might, they might think twice now. Oh, well, this one went bad with me, you know, because clearly they wasted five years of not getting paid. They're not going to get paid because they've already removed themselves from the case. They wasted five, six years of legal work that they've done. Well, that's only the work. They're not losing money. Um, you know, they could have spent that time elsewhere. So, how I don't much, know. How much did they claim that, that, that you owed them? Uh, he was asking for uh, like up to 200000 at one point. Um, the property... Uh, the one third that he owes, um, it wasn't worth that much. It's there's a reason why the island's not valued that high. One, because it's a seasonal property. You can only get over there four or five months out of the year. So the value of the property, even though it's an island, it's amazing. I I love it. It's just the on an appraisal, it's it has to reflect one the the high taxes because it goes by beachfront. The taxes are excruciatingly high, and the reason that it didn't sell years ago is because of those taxes. Even though the price seems okay, you're like, oh my God, I could buy an island for that price. The expenses and the work that it takes to maintain it, that's the real, that's the real catcher. Um, the, the tax insurance um, and, and the fact that you can only use it a few months out of the year. Between those factors, um, you know, the value isn't as high as some people might think. And other islands in Adirondacks and upstate New York, it's the same situation. Um, just prepare to pay a lot of attack, uh, um, taxes and insurance because that's really where you're going to pay the most for owning an island. After this uh, interview, I'm finishing a letter to the court and hopefully that can put an end to it. The court's been closed for like two or three months now. Mm. Otherwise, it might have already been done because, um, you know, the accounting... I don't believe is going to be done. I paid my share, but he didn't pay his. So I don't think the accounting is going to continue on. And I think it's going to draw to a conclusion based on the information that I've already given them. I hope we'll see. It's up to the court. Yeah, it is. It will work out. Um, I'm confident it will. Yeah. I've gone so through I, too much to not have this work out. And, I, I uh, think, I think what's incredible is that you just didn't give up. You just carried on going um, and it's really, really inspiring to, to see you do that. And, you know, going through that journey, it, it must be so emotionally and mentally draining, but you're still going. It was, I, shortly after this lawsuit began, uh, I ended up getting uh, shingles wow. uh, in my early forties. I got shingles cause I was stressed at nighttime. I couldn't sleep. I literally was like, thinking about it all day for the past five years up until recently. Cause now I feel like, okay, we're, we're getting somewhere. I'm, I'm the, the tide has shifted, but for four years it was brutal. Like I was being threatened by having the force to sell the Island. They tried to file a motion for a receiver, which means that they would kick me off the property. So a manager could maintain it until it was sold. They were super ruthless. They did everything they could. They, they claimed that I didn't have proper insurance, even though my, the lawyers are the ones that actually put the kibosh on the insurance that I did. It was crazy. I have phone records. Like it was super, super unethical. And you know, the truth will come out in the end, but um, I, I have on the website, Grant Island, I'm going to be putting on the chronicles of this case when it's over. Um, I don't want to put anything up yet because I don't want anything to disrupt the, the court and what's going or give them any excuse to, to not finish this off first, but once this is over, um, I'm going to put up chronicles of this entire case eventually and a blog and, uh, you know, anybody can see what happened with me and hopefully anybody who ever gets into the same situation can learn from what I've done and maybe be inspired by it and not let such ruthless, you know, self centered individuals, uh, do such a thing to somebody is, you know, I didn't deserve that. I'm already struggling to take care of the property and pay it and to have that. It was just burning the candles at both ends. But 
I'm, I'm seeing a light of day now and uh, yeah, I feel good with what's going on now. And how many people can it sleep? The rental cottage sleeps eight. Amazing. Eight people, yeah. And do you, is there space to do like retreats or any kind of events there? Or have you had yeah. any? There's, there's beach area. There's uh, docks. There's a, a yard up near where the cottage is. Um, we've got wooded area with hammocks all over. Um, yeah, we have people who come up with, usually it's families and small events. And they, you know, we don't allow a lot more people than the eight because we don't want it to be overrun. The septic is, you know, if something goes wrong on a septic on an island, uh, you don't want to be there. So we try to keep very good care of the septic systems. Um, right now, there's one septic on each house. But uh, eventually, like I said, when I start redoing everything, I'm going to make one a really good septic system to take care of the whole island. And uh, yeah, I, I plan on building like new bathrooms and eventually, eventually we'll get there and the, the, the dream of the island's uh, eventuality will become a reality. I'm looking forward to seeing these tree houses. <laughs> me too, me too. I can't wait. But uh, we'll see what the, what the, um, the tree house builders say on the show. I, I can't remember the name of the show. It's uh they, they, they go around building really elaborate tree houses that are amazing. So, um, yeah, it's going to be my first pitch when I own the island and see what happens there. Love it. Amazing. What do you wish you had known when you had first bought your share in the island? Well, when I first owned it, the taxes were a lot lower. And within a couple of years of me owning it, the area's taxes skyrocketed. It literally tripled from when I owned it to now. So, uh, I mean, it, there's not really much I could have done about that. So knowing about it, you know, whether that would have helped at all, probably not. Um, but it would have been nice to have known what the taxes would have been and the expenses. Um, I'm trying to think anything else. When I first, because I used to live in the area, and one of the things that I never really took advantage of was the snowmobiling in the area. The snowmobiling in the Tug Hill area and Adirondacks is amazing. So um, I wish I had taken advantage of that earlier. Only the past couple of years I bought a snowmobile and I started snowmobiling. You could literally snowmobile all day and not hit the same trail twice. So um, the snowmobiling is really amazing up there. And uh, I wish I had known that earlier. It would have been more fun to uh, take advantage of that back in the day. Right. If you could give some kind of advice on, you know, I've always wanted to buy an island. Um, how does a normal person like me buy an island? What do I need to think about? You, I mean, my suggestion would be to find a, a good buyer's broker who specializes in islands, I guess, and um, narrow it down to the region that you're looking for. Because um, my type of island is completely different than a tropical uh, ocean Island, obviously. Um, they have a whole set of different things that we have to deal with the tides, the, the beaches and, um, salt water and, um, having a beach house. I'm, I'm realizing like all the problems with salt water and, and erosion in that way. But, um, yeah, I would, I would say kind of get an idea of what you're looking for first and then go to somebody who can either specialize in islands or, I mean, I, I think that's going to be you eventually one day you, you, you have a whole selection of islands I've never seen before. It's, it's wonderful to see them on your feed. Yeah. I think that's the goal of one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a normal, you know, can a, um, a non-resident of America um, invest in an island in New York state? Yes, I believe so. I don't think there's anything holding somebody back from doing so. Um, that I'm aware of anyway. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's any difference in purchasing a normal piece of property to an island. Uh, technically, you could purchase it the same exact way. Cool. Um, as we're coming to a close, John, how can the audience find you? Um, well, we have a website, grantisland.com, G-R-A-N-T, island island.com we have a great instagram which is also grant island at grant island facebook all the same we've kept it uniform just go to grant island 
um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Twitter is a little different, but we don't really use that as much. Grant Island NY is Twitter. Um, but those are the main ways you can find us. GrantIsland.com is the website. And if you're looking to win a free week vacation next year, you can go to our Instagram and click the link in our bio and enter to win a free week on the island. We're giving away one free week as a kind of a, a marketing and to, you know, get more exposure for the property. So it's free to enter. Just email and name and that's it. Yeah, and you also have a beach house as well, right? I do in Nicaragua. And uh, I went to Nicaragua years ago with my girlfriend to just go surfing somewhere where there's nobody because I'd never surfed before. And I wanted to learn in, in, in when no one else was around because if I'm going to look stupid, I don't want anyone seeing me do it. So we went to Nicaragua because I heard the surf was great, but there was nobody on the beaches really. And I fell in love with the place. So within two weeks of visiting there, I started looking at properties and I was amazed at how, you know, cheap the property is to maintain and to own. And within a, two months, I uh, signed the contract with the guy who was selling it and I purchased it. And um, yeah, I own a property in Nicaragua called Playa Pochomil. That's the website and the Instagram. P-L-A-Y-A Pochomil. P-O-C-H-O-M-I-L.com. And uh, yeah, check out that website as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's right on the beach. Literally, you walk out the front yard, you're on the beach. You couldn't get any closer. And as soon as I saw this property, I fell in love with it. And I was like, this is a property I want to own forever. So I made that happen too, which was very fortunate. So can't complain about those things. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. I've, all, <laughs> I've always traveled to New York City, um, but only to party. <laughs> so yeah. I'm never, <laughs> I'm Where, where'd you go? Um, God, I think I went clubbing somewhere, Marquee. Marquee, stayed, of course, of course. Stayed at the Gansleville. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, the whole party scene. Okay, <laughs> just making sure. Yeah, you're in the right party scene. You're in the right places. Yeah, so, um, I know those places well. Yeah, it's good fun there. I've, I've only done the east side, east coast, um, but I've never done upstate New York. Well, next time you're around, yeah, yeah definitely. So uh, maybe I can try that T-Rex costume. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually brought it to Nicaragua, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a new one for the island again. <laughs> oh, great. Right. Thank you so much for listening. My goal here is to inspire you and to help educate you all and myself. Share the podcast. Tell a friend about it. Maybe you and your friend could own an island one day. And that's all for now. Speak soon. Bye. Follow at Private Island Podcast on Instagram for the latest features and hidden gems. Hosted by Alicia Patel.